welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who will not be relocating to Chicago. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I have had one shot of Malort in my life and that is one <laughs> shot too many. Moving to Chicago increases the likelihood of having to drink that. So yeah, no Chicago for me. There should be warning signs at the city limits. Danger. A thousand percent should be. There'd be Malort. Yes. yes. <laughs> Don't trust anyone who offers it to you and calls it a delicacy. They're lying. Yeah, I mean, otherwise Nicole Hack is trustworthy, right? Otherwise, yes. Yeah, otherwise. otherwise. <laughs> and to be fair, she never lied. She just said it's like it's an interesting, unique flavor to Chicago, which is to say, don't drink it. She chose her words carefully. She did. She chose she her did. words carefully. She's smart. We have 11 mm-hmm. listener questions to answer on today's show, each more delectable than the last. <laughs> um, but first... Shots fired at the first one. Uh-huh. Uh, but not my lot shots, though. <laughs> no. Um, but first, yeah. there's a bit of a bit of news. The mm-hmm. uh, Sort of, right? There's more like an, an incendiary quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal published a story essentially catching up with the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, it was by Rachel Bachman. Um, and the, the headline is U.S. Soccer Federation's struggles deepen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were essentially two interesting quotes in there. One was from Tab Ramos about Jay Berhalter. And one was from Dave Vandenberg, mm-hmm. a former U.S. soccer youth coach. I think he's now with New England, working under Bruce Arena. You got it. Which was about the policy that U.S. soccer laid down of all youth team coaches, all coaches, must move to Chicago. Right. Where would and you like I, to start? I think he lived in Texas, and he was like, why would I move to a place that's going to be freezing cold yep. every like six months out of the year? No, well, thank you, you. Yeah, well, you can't play soccer six months of the year. It, it was strange to me that he then said that and then moved to New England, but whatever. <laughs> we can only play three months a year. Yeah, but I guess if you're like actively coaching or helping coach a, a club team that yeah, is yeah. going to require day-in, day-out training, it makes more sense. <laughs> All right, before we get to the Chicago stuff, mm-hmm. should we start with the Tab Ramos? Quote. Sure. So um, they quoted Ramos as, as talking about uh, Jay Berhalter, who's the oh, – I keep forgetting his job title because he keeps changing it, but essentially he's the commercial and strategy mm-hmm. officer. But we all kind of know because there's a power vacuum where Dan Finn has been planning to step down ever since his heart surgery. Since 1982, right, is when he first been, announced he might step been, down? Yeah. <laughs> it's been two or three years yeah. that Dan Finn has been planning to step down. Berhalter, Jay Berhalter, which is Greg Berhalter's brother, has kind of been filling the power vacuum. Mm-hmm. And there's all those famous glass door reviews about U.S. soccer that um, that he's overstepping and making life miserable for a lot of U.S. soccer employees. Yes. Turns out one of those employees was Tab Ramos. Yeah. Yeah. So Tab Ramos was, what, U20 head coach, not anymore, now with Houston. And he was the youth technical director, which should mean he has full authority to make a bunch of youth technical decisions, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I've got the quote in front of me uh, for what happened with Tab Ramos and Jay Berhalter. Um, he essentially, Tab Ramos wanted to set up a goalkeeper, what's the correct phrase? A goalkeeper... Like specific training uh, uh, course, right? Yes. Like a, a thing centered on helping goalkeepers develop youth national team goalkeepers yes. to give them like intensive training. And apparently Jay Berhalter said, why would we need a goalkeeping program more mm-hmm. than a forwards program? Right. And wouldn't let Ramos set up a goalkeeping program for the youth national team. So there are two things here that I think like you have to, maybe like co- the context helps differentiate that when you first read that, if you don't really know who Jay Bar- Berhalter is, is or sort of the general state of U.S. soccer, mm-hmm. you might see that and think like, well, yeah, that's a good point. Like, why have one position and not every single different position? The issue, though... Goalkeeping is very different from every other position. Oh, that's I why, di- right? I don't disagree with yeah. that. But like the... I don't, I don't disagree with that. I also don't necessarily disagree with, with the logic. The issue is that it's Jay Berhalter yep. making that statement. Well, here's the other part of Ramos's quote. I was really surprised that someone that doesn't have the technical knowledge mm. could be involved in the decision-making of right. technical people, which is correct, right? It's not as if the um, the goalkeeping program was a 
revenue stream mm-hmm. or a commercial activity, then Jay Berhalter should have a say. Right. It's a technical thing about developing goalkeepers mm-hmm. for the future. Yeah, and just because your brother played centre back <laughs> doesn't mean that you know, right? Yeah. Doesn't mean that you know. Yeah, especially if he'd said centre back, that would have gone yeah. well. At least he said forward. <laughs> but I guess that's what I mean. Is like, had it have been a technical person, if it had been Ernie Stewart saying that, then it's sort of a like, all right, I don't necessarily agree with the decision. Yeah, but it at least <laughs> is a decision that I can sort of understand. Ernie Stewart would be like, why not a little Dutch forwards yeah, right? program? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's exactly how he'd say it too. Um, but yeah. When it's Jay Burhalter chiming in, and then especially with the kind of background of everything you've already mentioned, then it takes a different tone and instead maybe shows, I would say, the overall lack of leadership when it yeah. comes to U.S. soccer, that it does now feel like there's maybe a few people at the top doing a bunch of different things. And so there's not real clear designations in who's supposed to be doing what and when. And it's time. It's time that U.S. soccer yeah. appointed a CEO. I understand. So there are quotes in here from U.S. soccer about there's, there's a thorough search mm-hmm. being conducted. But it's been a long time. It's been, I think, at least a year since Dan Flynn announced he was stepping down. Yeah. I could have found a CEO in that time. Yes, you could have. And also, Richard if, Branson. That's if the CEO that you settled on after that year search was the same person that we thought it was going to be in the very beginning, which is sort of what it was with the Greg Berhalter hire uh, to coach the national team, that if, you're, if you keep saying there's this extensive search and then you end up appointing Jay Berhalter yeah. – that's going to be a huge problem. Yep. And frankly, it shouldn't be Jay Berhalter. One, because he's not a soccer person. Right. He's a revenue person. And two, because his brother is the, is the coach of the U.S. men's national team. Right. That's a reason it shouldn't be Jay Berhalter because there shouldn't be the, um, even the appearance mm-hmm. of a conflict of interest. I'm, I've, I'm I think, well-documented on Twitter, <laughs> arguing with people about this. I don't think that like, Greg Berhalter would have been fired um, if Jay Berhalter, his brother, wasn't so powerful within U.S. soccer. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're anywhere near that. I don't think the sins of Jay Berhalter should be visited upon Greg Berhalter. Yeah. Um, but I still don't think you should have the, the head coach's brother be the CEO, right? And not least... The Glassdoor reviews, mm-hmm. which specifically mention uh, somebody overreaching. It's clear they're talking about Jay Berhalter. Yes. It seems like the the general uh, population of U.S. soccer employees, their life would be more miserable. They would be less motivated yep. in their jobs if Jay Berhalter is appointed CEO. Those those are enough reasons to not appoint him. They certainly yeah. are. Can I tell you my, my theory? I want to run my theory by you and you tell me what you make of it. Genuinely, yeah. I welcome you to say, like, no, nah, that can't be the case. I, Do you I, know? I, I really okay, do. I'm wondering right. what you think uh, because I, I'm aware that my feelings on U.S. soccer tend to fluctuate with my mood right now because okay. they're so erratic that it makes me feel like, well, I don't really know if I trust them. And then sometimes I'm like, well, maybe it's not that uh-huh. bad. But I do wonder if maybe there was sort of already that conversation maybe a year ago that it would be Jay Burhalter as CEO. Yeah. But then things have been so bad mm-hmm. and there has been so much bad PR that they have been sort of quietly delaying that announcement. And I think waiting until there was either a lack of attention or a lack of eyes on U.S. soccer yeah, yeah. or maybe some positive swings to then say, like hey, a, we're going like to do this. Like a Friday afternoon announcement after like, yes. something else has got the national attention. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I then wonder if some of this stuff, like the Glassdoor like, announcements that all were sort of, sort of suddenly there, at least to my mind, they, it wasn't a like slow accumulation. It was like there's just a, like, a, yeah, yeah. a few negative uh, reviews. I oh, it was definitely wonder, a concerted effort on the part of U.S. soccer mm-hmm. employees to make sure that this information was out there. And I wonder if that is part of it, that there's an awareness that it's probably going to be Jay Burhalter, and we want this to stay in the public consciousness, that that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you're seeing some of that stuff. Why it keeps finding its way to be front and center yeah. is that I think maybe – Tab pe- Ramos is playing this part here. Yeah. By, I think he hasn't – he's obviously not been quoted yeah. saying bad things about people who are in charge at U.S. Soccer mm-hmm. Federation while he was employed by them. Yeah. Um, it's no coincidence that now he's left U.S. Soccer, he can say stuff like this to a journalist. Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess my, my feeling slash theory is maybe that there has been 
a handshake agreement in place for a while, and that's why you're not hearing much about what the actual search is mm-hmm. or who they're actually talking to or who's been interviewed. It's just a lot of like, well, his, we're looking into it. We're doing an extensive search. Here's a more optimistic version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was what was going on. There was sort of the natural successor appeared to be Jay Berhalter, mm-hmm. but I think maybe a combination of the glass door um, reviews and other pushback might mean that now they're starting a search for someone else. And maybe the reason it's taken so long is that they didn't go look in to begin with because mm-hmm. they thought they had their man in-house, right? Yep. Um, but now they're like, oh, it can't be him. We've got to find someone else. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hope- maybe there's an internal power struggle where somebody's saying, okay, I want it to be not Jay Behalter. I want mm-hmm. it to be someone else. And they're saying, well, find the someone else. And yeah. they're like frantically panicking for the someone else that will satisfy everybody to not be Jay Behalter and be an acceptable CEO. Uh- in my mind, Sounds super I, think, organized, right? And, right? I think the main criteria of not being Jay Berhalter is not being named Jay Berhalter. Yeah, yeah. So that rules out a few people. I'm uh, guessing. I'm but guessing I'm saying they're, they're looking for an acceptable right. alternative. Yeah, I hope that's the Again, case. Richard Branson, he's free. Yeah, get yeah. him in there. As long uh, as he can balloon, in, he can hot air balloon in and out of Chicago at will. He'll be happy. Maybe they'll set up a soccer HQ on his private island, and then maybe. that will be an alluring spot for people to go work. It could there work we out. Go. My, my fear is just that. I hope that's the case. My fear is that U.S. soccer exists in such a vacuum that there may be a lack of awareness or a feeling of like, well, people, it'll blow over. It's CEO. People don't really know. Whatever. And then that ends up happening. So I will be frustrated, but that, maybe that's a conversation for if and when that occurs. Well, let's see who is appointed CEO. So the, set, the other uh, noteworthy quote from this mm-hmm. article is uh, Dave Vandenberg, former uh, youth national team coach, who when he was told about the – it is an edict, right? That uh, They're saying that any youth national team coaches have to relocate mm-hmm. to Chicago to, so we can have like lots of meetings and lots of communication. Here's the, here's the Vandenberg quote. I immediately said, that's not going to happen. First off, I don't see the benefit because we're never there. There's no field in Chicago. For six months of the year, you can't be in Chicago because of the weather. That last bit's a bit harsh. People live there year-round, and it's a very good city. Um, But I understand he's basically saying that it's not worth – whatever benefits there are of being in the same city, it's not worth making everybody relocate to Chicago. And I think – I would like to think that someone at US Soccer, maybe the new CEO when they come in, will look at this and think, okay, that was an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. But the only coach we've appointed since laying that down is Raphael Vicky, the U17 coach. He didn't do well at the World Cup. We've lost loads of coaches like Vandenberg who were just not interested in relocating to Chicago. Yep. We've kind of, you know, so, sort of ruined our coaching infrastructure um, with, this, with this diktat from mm-hmm. the top. Maybe we should roll it back. I mean, that would be ideal. I would have no problem with that because I agree with you that it's not six months you can't live there. But I would say when we were in Chicago in what, late February or late January, early February last mm-hmm. year, like we didn't go outside. <laughs> like Sky Bridge just connected yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. We went from our hotel to the convention center and back. I think the one time we went outside, we went to the closest restaurant possible yep. because we no longer wanted to be in the air. But look, I mean, Chicago is, is a great city, True. right? It is cold a lot of the mm-hmm. year. But even if it was like a perfect utopian paradise, even yeah. if it was Richard Branson's island, yeah. um, you shouldn't make it a condition of being a coach for US soccer that you have to live there. These people have families, yeah. right? These people have families and like their husband or wife has uh, a job where they're settled. Their kids are in school. Yep. So you're telling them either you've got to leave your family and come and live in Chicago or you've got to relocate your entire family in Chicago. You're setting up a massive barrier to someone being a youth national team coach and you're thinning out the pool by mm-hmm. removing all the people who aren't, who aren't willing to do that. I'll yep. leave you with the, uh, the final line from the article. It's from April Heinrichs. Um, she was the, uh, the women's youth technical director. Um, no longer, but she was. Quote, I think it has to be a concern for our community that we haven't replaced youth national team coaches since March of 2018. Yep. That's how long this has been going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
It's no it's, argument from you. Right? I, uh, no, because I think the thing is like there was nothing really like the Tab Ramos wanted to have a goalkeeper uh, training camp or whatever. Like that was like newly development speci- program. That was newly specific information. Yeah. But most of this is stuff we already knew. Yeah. It's just sort of bringing it back up and sort of pulling the bandaid off again or reopening the wound a little bit. And so it's more like yep. It's a reminder of like things are not yep. good more than anything like bombshell news yeah, like yeah. things that we we had no idea were even happening and how much worse it is. It's just it's, like it's yep. more getting um, getting Tab Ramos mm-hmm. on the record about Jay Berhalter's overreach yeah. into technical areas, mm-hmm. and it's about a former youth national team coach Vandenberg going on the record and saying, "Yeah, I left my job because I didn't want to move to Chicago." Yeah. So we've got we've got it on the record now of uh, staff disagreeing with how U.S. soccer was being run. Yeah. So step forward. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I'm bummed out. Yeah, I'm bummed out. Can we answer? Too. Can we move on to happier things? Let's talk listener questions. Let's talk listener shall questions we? Instead, and then. move away from okay. U.S. soccer and cold Chicago. All right, we have eleven Lord. listener questions. Mm-hmm. By the way, I do love Chicago. I want to throw that out there. <laughs> you backpedaling? I know, man. I, I we every time I have been to Chicago, I, f- I fully enjoyed it. Uh-huh. Just the idea of like, especially if you're living in Texas and you've got your life there, and it is warmer there. To be yeah, told yeah. like, nope, you've got you have to move to Chicago, uproot everything. Mm-hmm. I would not love being told I have to go to. A and place. you have to drink a shot of Malort every morning. Ew. <laughs> First of today's listener questions mm. comes from Greg Slater. Greg Slater wants to know what does COP mean, mm-hmm. K-O-P, at football grounds in England? I know end is used more generally, like Stretford End mm-hmm. or Holt End. Is COP a synonym? Uh, not really, no. I guess. Yeah, no. Um, COP is... Like I, the simplest way to put it, I guess, is a slang term for a single tier stand, which used to be all standing, usually located behind a goal. Uh-huh. You sound like you're reading that from somewhere. Uh, it's my notes. I got it right here. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's where cop comes from. Mm. It comes from spion cop, mm-hmm. or maybe spion cop, which is a mountain or at least a large hill. It's a hill in <laughs> South Africa. It translates to spy hill. <laughs> and it all comes back to the Battle of Spion Cop, mm-hmm. which was in one of the Boer Wars. I believe mm-hmm. the Second Boer War um, in 1900. It was one of the most important battles of the Boer Wars, and it it's basically just this this big old hill, right? Mm-hmm. So that when a lot a of people... Very steep hill. Very steep, that's there. it. Yeah, yeah, the key is that it's steep. So when a lot of these soldiers came back, they obviously had this reference to the cop, this mm-hmm. big hill that was a big part of their lives. So when uh, football grounds started having steep hills mm-hmm. um, at the at, like one side of the stadium, they would start calling it right. the cop. It's simple yeah. as that, right? There's a famous steep hill, famous steep hills in stadiums. So you start calling it in slang terms the cop. But Anfield, where there's the famous cop, was the first to officially change the name to the cop. Uh, in 1928, I think there was like an unofficial cop before that, or something like that. But so but there, was, there was a reference to a newspaper reference to um, Woolwich Arsenal's manor ground. I couldn't remember if it was Arsenal where, or somebody else. Yeah, Arsenal. There we go. A journalist mm-hmm. said that the the, the new embankment yeah. looks like the cop. Right. Yeah. And and, and as I understand, this came from the Liverpool Echo. So maybe there's this a is little the bit 1906 of... reference to the the new uh, cop at Anfield. Yes. Yeah. But I believe also in that uh, the Battle of Spion Cop or. Uh, was it battle? Cool. Yeah. Um, that it was also uh, primarily, I guess, like people from Liverpool. It was like a regiment from Liverpool. Oh, I didn't so know it was that. a lot of Liverpoolian soldiers who came back, but also a lot of Liverpoolian soldiers who died. Uh, okay. So I think it was also like an homage to this hill where these men fought. It is, I guess, reminiscent of that because it's so steep and there are so many people there. Yeah. It was a reminder of that specifically, I guess. So that's where the cop mm-hmm. comes from. There was no way to guess that, right? Without no. researching it. Absolutely K-O-P not. K-O-P. Because I kind of assumed it was slang for something. Yeah, and, yeah. and then it was like it's slang in terms of that's what everybody calls it. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is I don't know this to be the case. But if I were guessing, I, I'm assuming ends like Stratford end is because that's a multi-tier. Like you've got one above it, I'm guessing. That like 
like a I, single I think it's thing. A, I think it's as simple as just two ends to a ground. Yeah. You can be like, in this room we're in, there's this end and there's that end, right? There's the window end that you're sitting by mm-hmm. and there's the door end that I'm sitting by. Do you, actually, and do they, don't they call it the cop end? Or is it just no, the cop? No, it's just the cop. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. normally it's named after the street that's like nearby. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there you go. Um, next question comes mm-hmm. from Andy Jordan. Could Christian Pulisic one day win the Ballon d'Or? What say you, Taylor Rockwell? I mean, first of all, the easy answer to this is like, sure, anyone could if they're a professional player, if they yeah. rise to the occasion. I think part of the reason why I have like such a weird time answering this is because of the dominance of Ronaldo and Messi. Yep. And it's this idea that like, well, it's only one of two players who will ever win it, or it creates this idea that like one player wins it consistently. Yeah. I had to go look that, I guess, from 1990 to 2007, it was never won consecutively. Yep. Like Some people won it multiple times, but not consecutively. We're just living in a weird era yes. of Messi-Ronaldo, 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 mm-hmm. maybe Modric, then Messi again. Right. right? Modric is the only person that's pierced that uh, Messi-Ronaldo yeah. barrier for the last, I don't know, how, I actually don't know how long, it's about 10 years or more. Mm-hmm. And so, and then if you look at, yeah, I mean, at 2000, like I said, I think 2010, is, or no, 2007 is when those two stopped winning so 12 it, years. started winning it, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. So before that, it could be Kaká, it mm-hmm. could be Zidane, it could be Rivaldo, it mm-hmm. could be Ronaldinho. There yep. was a time when, usually an attacking player, it was Cannavaro one year, right? Mm-hmm. Probably 2006, after the World Cup win. There's always, like, weird outliers, yeah. Yeah, but it, there was a time when it was just, Mateus like, as well. whoever was the best attacking player that year. Right. Michael Owen won it. Michael Owen won she- it. I mean, Shevchenko as well. And yeah. I think, and I said it's like, yes, these are all very good footballers, and Michael Owen. Uh, but, but it's also, like, there are definitely some fad players thrown in there of like or just someone oh, who has a great season exactly like, th- I guess that's what I should say not fad but like a yeah. player who caught fire for this one season yeah. like whoa they finished second what happened to th- who's this yeah. person I don't even know and here's the thing now that can happen Virgil van Dijk yep. can have a great season mm-hmm. a great season win the Champions League be the, the outstanding defender maybe argue the outstanding player but then you still look at Leo Messi and the things he's done and be like, oh, yeah, that was the best player in the world mm-hmm. this year. So, yeah, I think once we get out of the Messi-Ronaldo era, then assuming it can start being multiple players winning it, I'm, I'm guessing like Kylian Mbappe will win it at yeah. some point. Maybe Eden Hazard. Do we think in the post-Messi-Ronaldo era, Christian Pulisic is at least a contender for a Ballon d'Or? Uh, I mean, no, right now, okay. I guess, is what I would say. And so the way I chose to look at it was like with the idea that there tends to be a lot of fluctuation in who wins it, at least historically. I looked at it more so as like, what would he need to do, mm-hmm. like very generally? And my two qualifications were like, become unquestionably the best player at Chelsea. That it's sort of like, that is his team, yeah. he is dominated. Because to the point, to your point about Virgil van Dijk, I've heard the argument and I sort of agree that like, because everybody is really into Liverpool this year, because they've had such a, like, a good couple seasons, that everybody wanted to give it to somebody on Liverpool, but the vote was kind of split between a little bit Mane, even I though I think he wasn't even in the shortlist in the end, but Salah was in there, Van Dijk. And so I think you have it's to have... It's pronounced Van Dijk. Excuse sure. me, I apologize. Yeah. But you have to have at least one player. Like I think you have to have that player who stands head and shoulders above the team yeah. to separate a little bit. That's one. Number two, I think... Six foot four. That we, uh, well, who, Van Dijk? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, Pulisic is definitely not six foot four. And the other one would be, I think he would have to do stuff with the United States. Yes. That I don't think you can have a player... Like Lionel Messi, yes, so, Argentina don't win, but they're still Argentina. Okay, so I think what you're arguing mm-hmm. is that essentially Christian Pulisic will have to get a lot better yeah. if he wants to win the Ballon d'Or. And I think I agree with you. But yeah. I do think it's possible that like a 26-year-old Christian Pulisic mm-hmm. is the best player on Chelsea, we see flashes of it, right? We see flashes of it right now. So extrapolating it out into the future, there is a possibility that he has one stellar season with Chelsea or someone else. It'd probably have to be a World Cup year, right? Mm-hmm. Where the United States makes the quarterfinals and he's the absolute star of the show for the United States. That's what it would take, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe a Champions League win with his club where he's the star player and a standout tournament with the United States. 
it's possible. It's just probably not that likely. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Because he's going to be in the Kylian Mbappe era. That is the shorter answer. It's probably oh, not. I've, but not I just realised once Mbappe leaves PSG, mm-hmm. yep. he could go supernova. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Oh we, yeah. We could live in an in Mbappe winning it every year kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, and and we would expect France to continue to be pretty good. Uh, so that if Fran- US, France continue to do things and yeah. then Mbappe continues to rise, I'm going to do something that uh, like Eden before- Hazard's not done yet either. There's that too. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll see how Real Madrid go. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do something now that sort of drives me nuts when other podcasts do it, but I'm going to do it here. Can you remind me off air that I have a question for you about this question? Yes. All right. We'll talk about it later. But right now oh, we're so going to talk about it. won't be recorded. That would just be a private conversation. Pretty much. Okay. I just want to remember it because I often mean to like bring stuff up afterwards and then I forget. Nothing bad. But Can I, can I tweet about it? Sure. You can. Right. If you choose. If you choose. <laughs> uh, Corey Ocular, meantime, asks, are we being too harsh on Berhalter for having his quote unquote group? Mm. Uh, haven't other USMNT coaches had the same criticism? Uh, I remember, says Corey, being frustrated at Robbie Finley with, uh, with Bob Bradley and Julian Green, Mixiskarud, and Timmy Chandler with Jurgen Klinsmann, always getting caught call-ups. Is Berhalter any worse than prior managers? So before we answer this question, I would take issue with um, who Corey has chosen as his example. My first uh, bullet point in my response is I disagree with the premise. Yeah, well, so with some of the premise. Actually, Robbie Finley wasn't always called up no. by Bob Bryson. Charlie Davies right? got injured and they wanted a, a like a pacey striker. A pacey striker. Yeah. yeah, okay. But but mm-hmm. Bob Bradley did have, let's say, Ricardo Clark. That is a very right? good one. Who was yes. always called who up. Was, we were, even in the moment, like, why is this happening? Start yeah. Maurice do. So I, yeah, so I think you can argue that yeah. like certain coaches mm-hmm. have their favorite players. Corey just chose the wrong one. How has Omar Gonzalez been that player for like three <laughs> different national team coaches? <laughs> um, with Klinsman, mm-hmm. I would, there's definitely something happened with Julian Green, right? Where it's like choose the US and I'll. Keep I mean, I I will forever believe that it was like choose us and you're guaranteed a spot. Yeah, yes. I'll send mm-hmm. you through a cup. I'll let you try and score in the random. This is me scratching I'll out give Landon five Don- minutes in the random. I'm going to scratch out Landon Donovan's name to write in your name. <laughs> That's what I can guarantee. You. Uh, mixed discreet for sure, right? Mm-hmm. He was often in the squad, even when he wasn't playing. Well, yeah. he went to that World Cup in 2014, wore the number 10 shirt, yeah. only sat on the bench. But again, with Mix, with Mix, and this is maybe like semantics being pedantic, whatever, but like he got his first cap under Bob Bradley. So it's not necessarily as though like that was just a guy yeah, that came through. but he got through. a lot more caps under Jürgen Klinsmann. Right. But it factors into how I have chosen to answer this question is all I'm trying to say. So therefore it's true. Well, no, just more so that like like Mix may have been a guy that Jürgen Klinsmann called in and we yeah. were sort of confused by but it is not as though he was only given a chance under Jürgen Klinsmann so and managers, everybody else were like yeah. no thank you that's fair other coaches mm-hmm. rated him enough to call him up that's that my, is fair that's, that's fair. my point um, I, so okay but to mm-hmm. the um, the broad version of Corey's question yeah. all national team coaches have favoured right. players that they see a reason to keep calling up when the general public doesn't right. so in that sense I would agree with the idea that maybe it is too harsh on Greg Berhalter to keep doing this. And I'd even say Greg Berhalter has more reason than other coaches to keep doing it because he's got his patterns of play, his movements, uh, his OA movements that he's teaching <laughs> these players. And so when he talks about the group, he's talking about players who have been in sessions and been taught the, the patterns of play and the principles of play uh, more than the players who have been outside of, quote-unquote, the group. Mm-hmm. I think it's also unfortunate that... Um, I think we picked up on it essentially that Berhalter start, started using the term the group mm-hmm. um, in press conferences and essentially accidentally calling attention to the fact that he has a favored group of players, mm-hmm. right? I kind of agree with what you're saying and then I kind of disagree simultaneously okay. because like, yes, I think all, all national team managers tend to have players that they like that they call in yeah. uh, and, and that like become the core of their squad. I also think it is slightly harsh on Greg Berhalter because I think right now the U.S. player pool is, despite having some 
like top tier players or some very good players, it is pr- very weak in yep. a lot of ways. And so I think in the past, when you looked at the 16 or 17 guys that were the group for other managers, it was a deeper team. They were like, it was Clint Dempsey playing for Fulham or playing for Tottenham. You had more yeah. of those sort of like, yeah, well, that guy's obviously. Well, no, in yeah, the no group. one ever quibbled with that, right? Right. Yeah. And so I think with this group, where some of these guys are in their careers or, or who he's chosen to bring in, it's less of a Clint Dempsey at Tottenham and more Daniel Lovitz. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> is enough. part of it. But the, where I disagree but with again, you. Again, you're right about the depth. Like, mm-hmm. who are the other left backs? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's maybe Anthony Robinson, who's yeah. with the U23s. And then you're kind of struggling after that. Right? Yeah. So it may not be Berhalter's fault. It's more like the, the pool of left backs fault. But I do think that that pool, that group for other managers, isn't necessarily established after like literally the first camp he held or yeah. that manager held when most of the players or a lot of his players were not even eligible to play in that camp. Yeah. And that is where some of my frustration comes from is yeah. it feels like the first players he kind of got experience with somehow became the core for him for at least a yeah. good long while. And it usually takes a little bit longer, as I guess by feeling that it's after a year that core is established and it's been through a lot of experimentation. You find the kind of constants, you build around those constants, uh-huh. then you build around those constants, and then you have that your, core. Your Penelope's. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this one feels a bit less like that and more like here are the guys who initially fit and yeah. then I've kind of added and subtracted as I needed to yeah I would argue it's not as bad as people think either because we argue about Dwayne Holmes right mm-hmm. he's the standout like maybe Christian mm-hmm. Roldan over Dwayne Holmes type thing but definitely like uh, Alfredo Morales is someone who has been added later mm-hmm. to the group and Georgie Mihailovic has been someone who has definitely played his way out of the group right mm-hmm. and it's only really guys like say Christian Roldan that people have questions about who, and Daniel Lovitz, definitely, who is still... Christian Rodin's the only one where you could say there is competition from other probably better players who should be there instead. I'd say it's not as many players as people think. I mean, I, I think probably people would add Jesse Zardes to that. I'm not sure if I agree. Yeah. I think people would add Will Trapp to that, and I would disagree a little and bit. And Will Trapp's been phased out, exactly. right? Because Jackson Yule is... He just uh, still gets him. called in, and that's where yeah. I think there's... It, and I guess that's what I mean, is like it's not really helping Greg Berhalter with that. Like I understand he likes Will Trapp. He has a relationship with Will Trapp. He, Will Trapp can do certain things, I'm guessing, in training. But it's still, it's just have to spell the name. But again, oh, one right. L, exactly. One L, I finally figured it out. But like, it, it still, it just doesn't look that good when a guy who hasn't been playing is still getting called into the team. He's not mm-hmm. playing, but he's still in that squad. It feels like that speaks to, but maybe he will one day be relied upon if yeah. the situation requires. And so, I don't love that as much. But do you think Behalter is doing this to a, a larger degree than any other former coach? Which is essentially the essence of Corby's question. I think he's doing it faster than a lot of other coaches. And I okay. think that's where my issue is, is that usually, that's what I'm saying, is like usually it's after a year you can sort of look and see like, oh, okay, this is what they have honed their squad into, their core yeah. of their squad. And I feel like that happened after the first January camp. All right, counterpoint though. Is it just that we've started complaining earlier? Like maybe you could look back and maybe Klinsman was doing that early on and Bradley was doing that early on and Arena did it early on, but we just didn't start complaining about it so early. I mean, I think, but, but I think I would argue that that's like the same thing, basically. Or like, basically it's two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. I guess. That like, yes, it's because things are bad, but the argument then is like, but they haven't been playing well, so why are you sticking with this same core of people as okay. opposing to seeing what else happens? And then the bigger philosophical thing is Behalter saying, I'm sticking with the same core of people because mm-hmm. we're all learning together and progressing together, mm-hmm. right? That's the fundamental philosophical difference between what Behalter wants to yep. do and what the fan base wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And we'll continue that in 2020. We certainly, <laughs> certainly will. Many more questions to get to. Mm-hmm. But first, today's show is sponsored by... 
Hello Fresh. Do you have your? I'm jumping in. Do you have your own like group of core ingredients that you always use? You don't really change it up. They need you, freshening up. Yeah, all of all of the fans of your cooking have started to ask questions yeah. about why turnips are always in yeah. there. Why no do one you wants use turnips. so much rolled on? <laughs> right. <laughs> this, we there's don't so need many love it seasoning on everything. <laughs> <laughs> why are you only using one type of cheese? There are so many other cheeses out there. Uh, Hello Fresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality regardless of your comfort in the kitchen and they make it easy to use new ingredients and different ingredients <laughs> in different ways and different combinations that you might otherwise have experienced. So you get sent in a box mm-hmm. pre-measured ingredients for different meals and then you get step-by-step recipes mm-hmm. which will teach you how or show you how to use those ingredients. It's like if Dwayne Holmes came in a box and there was a, a set of instructions that said he can play number eight, he can play number ten, just let him run around. But you get three different meals in the box. <laughs> so like maybe in that one box he's a number eight, maybe in that one box is at number 10. Maybe in that other box, Christian Roldan is included. But because of the variety, it makes it okay. <laughs> see what I'm doing here? It's an extended analogy, Daryl. I do see <laughs> what you're doing. So you can break out of your dinner mm-hmm. rut with HelloFresh's 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. There is something for everyone from family recipes to calorie-smart and vegetarian and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Craft burgers. I have recently moved away from the vegetarian menus. Yeah, Turns yeah, yeah. out meat tastes good. It sure does. I have a flank steak marinating right now. I'm very excited about Ooh. it. Mm-hmm. I'll be yep. around at seven. <laughs> That's fine. That's we about can talk we about eat. that thing you wanted to talk about. <laughs> there Whatever we go. it may be. That's perfect. Uh, but while we wait for that, we should say for a limited time, uh, our listeners can get nine free meals with HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS9 and enter the promo code TSS9. That's TSS the letters and then the number nine. And if you can't remember it, think what number does Jassy's Zardes wear? That's the one. So it's nine free meals. Mm-hmm. HelloFresh.com slash TSS9 and enter the code TSS9. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's episode. This is indicative of my dietary habits or the way I like to eat food. I'm going to say Christian Pulisic, if he were an ingredient, he's salt. He's the thing that you need... Just in case things aren't going well, it makes everything just a little bit better. Oh, okay. That's how I feel well, about In terms salt. of how you feel about the U.S. men's national team. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, next mm. question comes from Michael Jackson. I'm mm-hmm. going to say not that one. Mm-mm. Michael Jackson And asks, if it is, shame on you. <laughs> what, Michael, but well done for being resurrected. Uh, why don't less people... Less so the other stuff. Yeah, less so the other stuff. Uh-huh. Why don't people mention mm-hmm. Juan Pablo Angel more as being one of the true elite players to help build Major League Soccer. So mm-hmm. people don't remember, Juan Pablo Angel um, came from Aston Villa, signed as a designated player for New York Red Bulls all the way back in 2007. Mm-hmm. Scored and, a bunch of goals. And I think that date is key as to why we don't remember him as much. Uh, he was signed in April of 2007. David Beckham announced to be going to the Galaxy in January of 2007. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge part of it. Is that David one Beckham, of them is David Beckham. Right. And I do think like you look at Juan Pablo Angel's record uh, with New York... And and it's very good in mm-hmm. terms of his individual performance. I can't, I can't remember. Numbers, 58 goals in 102 games for New York one. Red Bulls. Thank you, because I was going to be way off, not in the percentages, but in the actual numbers. Yep. So you've also you got to think about what MLS was like mm-hmm. in 2007. I do remember, because yep. I'd been here a couple of years, watching uh, Angel be so much better than the defenders who were yes. marking him. He would outthink them with just little, like, fake to the near post, go to the far post stuff. He just looked, like, basically too good for the league. It looked mm-hmm. a little too easy for him. There's also the fact that New York Red Bulls didn't win 
any trophies while he was there. Did you look up what they did win, the one award he won? It's my favorite thing. No, ever. I mean, I know they went to the 2008 MLS Cup and mm-hmm. lost to Columbus Crew. I know that, but what did he So, what so did he win? if they won something that year, if they went to MLS Cup, they won what the did they Western win? Conference. They won yes. the Western Conference. <laughs> so I looked at this, and yeah. it's only just dawned on me that yeah. the New York Rebels are not in the West. They're not. It was that thing, I think, where it was like, whichever, because they had uneven teams, it was like, whichever two teams were the best in the remaining got oh. sent into the other bracket or whatever, whichever team. Yeah. So that means they didn't have a great, great regular mm-hmm. season then, right? They're right. almost like a NFL-style wildcard yeah. entrance into the Western Conference. Right. And so I think uh, you're absolutely right, though, that that's, that being the only thing they won, it means that you don't have that sort of like, well, he did win MLS Cup for New York, so that matters. Yeah. Whereas Beckham obviously goes on to win plenty of silverware. And then it's Eventually, also the case. Right? Eventually, true. Yeah. Uh, but it's also the case that Juan Pablo Angel, after New York, it doesn't really go that well. He goes to the Galaxy. He goes to the Galaxy on a, I think he was like a, not maybe re-entry or not re-entry, but waiver, basically. He was yeah. waived by New York. He gets picked up by the Galaxy, who so then... They waved at him. It does. Yeah. I mean, he made 22 appearances, scored only three goals, so form falling off there. Then they trade him to Chivas yes. to make space for Robbie Keane. And I think right there Ooh. is another key point about why he is so, less remembered. Because so he petered out in Major League Soccer. Basically. And then by the end, it's like you can't really claim him as like a legend, like this guy who was so formative yeah. when it was being traded for Robbie Keane. There's also, frankly... Who's he's, excellent, don't get me wrong, but that's yeah. my point. Is like We don't think of Robbie Keane as necessarily a legend of Major League Soccer. Oh, I do. I think he's brilliant. I think he's brilliant, but I don't think he's in that like I hesitate to use this term because it's a Bill Simmons thing but like that Mount Rushmore of MLS I don't know if he's on there I think Beckham definitely Ooh, I is I think he's at least in the foothills okay um, <laughs> I think that'd be fine I could put him there but here's the thing Juan Pablo Angel mm-hmm. when he came here he came from Aston Villa mm-hmm. right he is not coming from Manchester Good United call. or Real Madrid like David Beckham did his profile was not as high to begin with he was an excellent footballer he was a Premier League footballer mm-hmm. but it's not sort of this uh just because he's not coming from a superstar team, it's not so groundbreaking. So yeah. that's part of the reason why he's not remembered as famously as, say, David Beckham. I would agree with all, all that. Right. I think we've answered it. Uh, Richard Rolson then asks, do you think the application of VAR in the EPL has been rougher than in other leagues? And if so, why do you think this has happened? It has been rougher in terms of everyone's reaction mm-hmm. to it. And I think a big part of this is just the way people in English football react to everything, both fans and media. Okay. While I was home, I was listening to, uh, my dad always has talk sport on in the morning, which is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's talk radio about sport. And they were constantly banging on about how VAR is ruining the game mm-hmm. and this and that. It all gets very emotional. And I think um, anytime something goes against uh, a big English team, the fan base is all up in arms. Mm-hmm. It's kind of happened at least once to every team, right? Mm-hmm. So every, every fan base has a reason to hate VAR or has been like overreacted to a result that went against them mm-hmm. because a VAR decision went against them. I think that's a big part of it. But I think you were talking earlier about uh, like a way it's been implemented that may play a role in this. Yeah, I, I think the reason why... I, I don't disagree with you, and I think VAR, whenever it's brought in, whenever any new rule is brought in, there's always going to be that initial, like, this is so dumb, why is this that's happening? It. In England, any new rule, mm-hmm. any new anything that's brought in gets yeah. debated to death because it, you can literally sell newspapers mm-hmm. on the back of it. And I mean that literally as well because it'll be on the back pages yeah. of national newspapers to get people to buy it. And it will command radio time on places like TalkSport. But there was negativity. Like, I remember reading negativity about it in the Bundesliga when it was brought in, in Serie A when it's brought in, that feels, at least to me, like it has faded. I think a big part of the reason why it's still front and center in the Premier League not necessarily. I think you're absolutely right that it's like it's an easy thing to hit. It's an easy talking point for There's talking just heads. So much to do. more English media. It's yeah. endless. But it's but bottomless. I think a big problem for me is that you still do not have Premier League officials going to look at the screen themselves. Okay. And I think because of that, 
it feels like, wait, who is in charge of this? Are they actually allowed to overturn? Is there any time when a referee is like – and it, it feels like the exception rather than the rule that referees are overturning their decisions. Yeah. And even, again, from like an – I think I've said optics twice now in this show. But from an optics standpoint – It's the word of the day. We were at the uh, – it is. We were at the Bayern Munich-Frankfurt uh, game when Frankfurt won 5-1. Mm-hmm. And the very – like what, like first 10 minutes or so, it's the Boateng sending off when there's the red yes. card. Referee sprints to midfield, looks at the monitor, sprints back, red card comes out. But that – probably takes as long, that sequence took as long as it would in the Premier League. The difference is that it's the referee running, the camera's following him, now it's the referee looking at a screen and we're seeing some replays, then it's the referee running back and what's going to happen. Whereas in the Premier League, it's a referee standing there with his finger in his ear while a bunch of people scream at him. And (laughs) and it's just sort of like, why hasn't he made a decision? What's happening right now? And we're not seeing him look at a thing, we're not seeing what he's looking at or what's being reviewed. He's not looking at anything, right? It's people in that central, I can't remember where it is, but there's a centralized location where Mm -hmm. they're looking at it and they're telling him whether there's been a clear obvious error that needs to be overruled and so and and so from even a very basic standpoint like because you don't have that because you don't have that screen there because it's not being shown like the Deli Ali potential handball from uh, midweek against United like from his goal right they were sort of there was initially there was this like well what's hold on what are they looking was it offside like there's a moment of like what we don't quite know and again if you have the referee looking at the screen even if your replays aren't queued up yet you can see like oh it's a handball oh that's what he's looking at like you can sort of see it more clearly it gets to the point much more quickly than the referee standing with when, his finger in the but, ear while somebody tells him stuff. But when we're watching this on TV, mm-hmm. we're shown what, what's being looked at, right? Because they show the replays mm-hmm. of Ali lifting the ball and it like brushing his shoulder. Yes. So we know. Yes, but I think you always have that moment of like, oh, there's a VAR check. Hold on, hold on. Like I yeah. think initially there's a lack of awareness. Now maybe that is the commentators not paying attention or not being like as up on it right away. It may also be that they're in the booth and so they don't quite see the, oh, hold on, hold on. There's a graphic on here saying replay or whatever. But I just think if you had them running to the, to the screen, it immediately shows you like oh okay there's a VAR check yeah. taking place then we so can why, figure it out why did the Premier League decide not to do that is it because it was perceived that maybe going to the monitor takes too much time yeah maybe so they're or, trying to preemptively fix a problem and maybe created another problem in doing so I, I feel like I we guess, had this conversation before we, I well. think we have and I think Ryan and I have as well one of, one of the possible oh, you guys explanations definitely have. Yeah. yeah one of the possible explanations I can see is that on the, the weekend VAR review show I mean, you say that. Like, dude, you have missed some moments when VAR was wrong. Like, when VAR straight up got it wrong. VAR wasn't wrong. The referees were wrong. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it still is a, a VAR overturning something, overruling something. Okay. But we can get into that later. But I, um, I've, I actually forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so never mind. <laughs> We're talking about the referees running to the monitor. Mm-hmm. And oh, why, why is the Premier League decided not to do that? Uh, all I can figure is that because it's a, it's a very visible sign of the referee being overruled and I think Mm -hmm. the stated objective or at least one of the things that was kind of repeated a lot in the beginning when it was implemented in the Premier League was we don't want VAR to overrule we don't want them officiating the game because the officials are still in charge but surely if the ref actually goes and looks for himself he, Mm -hmm. he gets to make the decision rather than the decision appearing in his ear yeah, I think that is the what we've stumbled upon now. I think at the time okay. it was more of a like that allows him to have a quieter conversation with like, yeah, no, I saw that. So I like this is me doing my impression of like yeah, finger yeah. in the ear, like, yeah, no, I, saw that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's fine. I'm not going to overrule that. Yeah. Like it allows him to sort of like shut them down faster, I'm guessing. But in the end, you're right. Oh, rather than making him go and look at it. Yeah. Right. But in the end, it actually looks like he's being told by Big Brother, like, hey, you missed this. <laughs> <laughs> go Like we're going back and looking at it now. We'll yeah. tell you if it's wrong. We're going to put the rat on your face again <laughs> unless, oh. you, uh, unless you go look at it. That's that would be an alternative punishment. Yeah. It'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question yeah. mm-hmm. comes from Kareem Rahemtala. Oh, Kareem Rahemtala wants to know... Kareem, I don't think we're friends. What is the most festive starting 11 you can make in the Christmas tree formation? Mm-hmm. So if, if people don't know the Christmas tree formation, it's goalkeeper, then it's four, three, two, 
One yep. is that it looks like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Kareem, we are friends. Thank you for an- for asking this question. I have a few. I have an incomplete squad banking on the fact oh, that you would have. Up. I knew you would. <laughs> I knew you would. Who's your goalkeeper? Um, Pepe Reindeer. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. Is Pepe, that the same? Pepe Reindeer Reina. Brilliant. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Uh, defenders is where I struggled. I only have two, one of whom is retired. Okay. Do you want to hear my, what, who, who are your defenders? Uh, you Ashley Cole for Cole in your stocking. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, uh, Danny Alves, Danny Alves. Excuse me? Yeah, Danny Alves, but I'm yeah. changing his name to Danny Alves. Oh, D- Danny Alves. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, here's my back four. Mm-hmm. Centre-backs are um, Per Mer to Saka. Oh, boy. The other centre-back is Fabinho Ho-Ho. <laughs> that was right good. back is Hector Jingle Bellerin. Mm-hmm. And left back is Greg Bearhow Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I, like... I don't understand how you do these so quickly, but I'm impressed and saddened all at once. Uh, <laughs> Should we move to midfield? You haven't physically hurt me yet, so that's okay, good. Okay, we're uh, getting there. So you, now we have a line of three midfielders, mm-hmm. right? Three central midfielders mm-hmm. in a 4 3 2 1. I mean, who you got? Santi Cazorla, I'm pretty sure, picks himself. Come on, I mean, Santa. You've got to go Santa Cazorla. Okay, that's San, fine. If you Santa want to do that, Cazorla. in that case, if we're going to change some names around, of course we uh, are. Uh, Jonathan Nog instead of Jonathan Hogg. Okay, that's pretty good. Yep, uh-huh. And then here's my other one that I thought you would appreciate Davy Proper of Brighton. Do you want to know why? Why? I looked it up. He's Dutch. His full name is David Petrus Wenceslas proper. All right. So he is Good King Davy Wenceslas for purposes of this one. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, My other two midfielders to go alongside Santa Cazola mm-hmm. are Frankincense Lampard. <laughs> and brace yourself for this one. You're going to hate this one. Yeah. Um, Adam Tralalalalalalanya. That's your best one. That's my best. That's one. your best one. All right. You think you think Greg Burhall Turkey is is <laughs> is better than that one? Get out of here. Uh, well, I find the reach for the pun to be charming. I see. I <laughs> Greg Burhall Turkey. I tried desperately to find somebody that would allow Krampus to work. I wanted Krampus <laughs> in here. I couldn't really make it work except for like Vendik. Campus, who's like a retired Dutch player that doesn't really work so much. So four three two one. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we have our two attacking midfielders. I've only got, got one, and got... it's Gabriel Jesus. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I mean, I Gabriel guess you could go like Jesus Navas and Gabriel Jesus yeah. to get the double Jesuses. I think you really need to go with someone like uh, Delhi Holly. Oh my god! Or, oh my god, that one hurt. Or brace yourself for this one. Uh. <laughs> Sebastian Leggett. It's no. All right, that's pretty good again. Again, it's good. It's good. It flows. That one's nice. And then, of course, um, top of the tree, mm-hmm. it's got to be Juan Pablo Angel. Uh, I so thought about that one. I went with Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> there we go. So you can switch either of those. I made, see, I don't know how you did yours. The way I work when it comes to puns is I just made my list of like Christmas holiday things yeah, yeah. and then just tried to shoehorn in as many things as I could. <laughs> and I was like, caroling. Oh, that one's the first one. <laughs> so Kareem had suggested um, mm. Alexander Five Gold Rings. The New York City player, Alexander Ring. Thank you. That's pretty good, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I had um, guest of honor, Gabriel Jesus. Okay, all right. Rather than making him play. No manager for you? No manager. Oh. I don't know why, okay. I've, why have I invited this. Yeah, sorry. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think of one. Carlo A- Angelotti? Angelotti? <laughs> there we go. Perfect. I hate myself. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> All right. Speaking of, la, 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 la. Speaking of the holidays, <laughs> mm-hmm. today's show is sponsored by mm-hmm. 
talisman caps. That is right. Which I believe would make a perfect gift for Christmas. Dude, that is a good call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or Uh, whichever non-Christian holiday you're celebrating that involves gift giving. Also that one too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because they are the purveyors of high-end quality made caps, uh, but then also uh, accompanying gear. So they've got the the vintage vault where they've got like retro jerseys if you want to put a jersey in someone's stocking, but then they've got all of the different uh, apparel and and, and different little things like uh, the we always talk about the coffee mugs, the camp mugs. Yep. Those are solid. But you've got coasters. You've got cell phone cases. They've really got so many different products that you could use as stocking stuffers. Yeah, stocking stuffers. But also mm-hmm. the caps themselves also those. are $35, which mm-hmm. I feel like is um, – I mean, it depends how much money you make, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, that feels like a good level for a gift. That's a gift that's not just like, here's a $5 thing I found. 35 mm-hmm. is like – I love you. I'm going to say, you. I'm going to say immediate. Not too much money. I'm saying immediate family or like first cousins that you like. That, yeah. That's where I would put that range. Yeah, there. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you. It's the type of gift I would buy you. Yeah, right. Thirty-five dollars. I think it's the type of gift you would buy me. I would certainly buy you something from the clearance section. <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. I mean, I would have agreed with you right up until you said Delhi Holly, and now <laughs> I've gone down five dollars. Yes, your gift yeah. estimations have dropped. Well, the good news is you can get ten percent off. <laughs> yeah, you could when you're shopping for me um, at talismancaps.com. If you use the discount code Total Soccer Ten, mm. Total Soccer Ten for ten percent off anything priced thirty five dollars or more at talismancaps.com. They right now have a blue CFC cap. So if you've got maybe a recently converted Chelsea fan in your life, because they've been watching mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic every Saturday, like say I have, you could get them the uh, the Talisman Blues cap mm-hmm. for $35 or you get 10% off with Total Soccer 10. Just dropping some hints for you there, Taylor. Just dropping <laughs> you want hints. that hat? You want the Chelsea hat? Maybe. All right. I have a fairly large Talisman collection already. We both do. We do, don't we? <laughs> uh, So thank you very much to Talisman for that large collection and for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, more listeners questions next one comes from neil shewitt uh which usmt player or players uh injury or injuries do you think had the greatest impact on putting us on the path to where the u.s men's national team is right now Ooh, i think the correct answer to this mm-hmm. um should we say it in unison or maybe 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 you've gone different than i have who you got john brooks oh okay in terms All of right. the path to right okay. now mm-hmm. if john brooks had been fit and could have played um, in 2017 mm, for okay. Bruce Arena yeah. we might not have had Omar Gonzalez scoring their own goal against Trinidad okay. I think it may have just come down to that game against Trinidad if John Brooks had been available maybe that game goes differently no that's, that's, that's the answer good and, call yeah mm-hmm. alright no, I mean, I have other answers, but no, I think I think you're correct in terms of the like that is the one because I really struggled the path with to right now is the keeper exactly right? that yeah. players that would have made that difference. And I remembered that like jo- I thought I remembered that Josie Altador had like missed a lot of the hex games that had kind of been infrequently involved. He played se- seven of them or something like that, yeah. or, or nine of nine of the ten. I believe he and he Bobby played. Wood started that game yeah. against Trinidad. No, he right? played nine of ten. I yeah. think J- Josie Altador is like partially my answer because I think if he were consistently fit and able to play this year, mm-hmm. I think 2019 is a very different yep. year for U.S. soccer. and I think 2014 then, World Cup, we might have gone further. Yeah, by the way, I further. love that I tried to guess. I have it in my notes. He played nine of the ten Hex games. <laughs> um, but I, so I don't think it would have helped that much with qualifying for Russia, but I do think right now we would have won a few more games in 2019 and things wouldn't have been so bleak. Yeah, that's a good answer. And then the only other one, you're, again, you are absolutely right. That's John in terms Brooks. of 2019, Tyler Adams. Mm-hmm. The whole of 2019 that's might have been different if Tyler yeah. Adams was available all the time. And I do think, I know this is like the 
the oldie, but it's the ever-present answer when it comes to injuries, is probably Stu Holden. Yes. He's, he just turned 34 in August, so would have been 33, 32. Yeah. But we're talking and about he looks a, about 28. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> we're talking about a, a creative and technical midfielder who at this point would have almost a decade of Premier League mm-hmm. experience, and you have to believe that with Bolton being where they are, he would have gotten a jump to another Premier League team, or maybe yep. he jumps to the Bundesliga or somewhere else. He's probably back in MLS at this point, um, but it's still a number 10 slash creative well, people, midfielder. People forget about Stu Holden. Yes, he was yeah. creative, but he also had a lot of defense defensive bite about him. There was a time when yeah, he led... I said number 10 and then I immediately wanted to back off. There was a time yeah. when he led the Premier League in tackles yep. per game mm-hmm. when he was playing for Bolton. I think if he'd have been uh, stayed healthy and not had those horror tackles visited upon him, um, like some horrible mm-hmm. uh, ghosts of Christmas past, present and future, yeah. um, he would have been the sort of high energy tough tackling but both ways player that could have partnered Michael Bradley mm-hmm. right could have like, really got the best out of yep. Michael Bradley for a few more years um, there was Jermaine Jones in the same era you could have had a midfield of Holden Jones and Bradley but see this is the thing it also then to me it uh, like it means the tactics probably would have been a little bit different which yeah. maybe me- move different people to different spots which maybe makes results go a different way yeah absolutely that's one but then the other thing is just that like he was I think he was like the Bolton player of the year like his mm-hmm. breakout season and I just think about how the door oh, may- his star shining bright in the Premier League was kind of brief but really really visible but yeah. I think about if that had continued if he hadn't had those injuries if that star continued to shine and maybe he gets a jump to a bigger Premier League club like because we've had this kind of era of some goalkeepers in the Premier League, but even then, then they've been moved on. And so, like Premier League players have not, be, there haven't been oh, that many Americans. Are you saying like our reputation, Americans' mm-hmm. reputation in the Premier League would yep. have been higher because Stu Holden would have dragged it higher? I think yeah, so, and I, I think it opens that. the door for like, okay, yeah, like we can have a creative midfielder from the United States. Let's try that. Mm-hmm. And I think Pulisic is doing a little bit of that now, but I think uh, maybe Holden would have helped move that along a bit faster. Two more worth talking about: John O'Brien, obviously, yeah, right, 2002 World Cup. If he could have stayed healthy after that. Continued that momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say a lot of the same things we said about Holden in terms of the reputation of Americans. Mm-hmm. If O'Brien had been sort of part of an Ajax team or maybe another team later on, that's a big name player in Europe uh, for a long time. And there's just if he'd been available to play in midfield for the United States mm-hmm. after 2002, yep. um, like he went to or the 2000, consistently, yeah. yeah, yeah, he went to the 2006 World Cup, but it was a huge mistake from mm-hmm. Bruce Arena. It was just that he loved John O'Brien. Yep. O'Brien was not fit to go, yep. right? But if he had been, that's a major, major piece of a US uh, midfield. Then the other one is Charlie Davies, Mm -hmm. right? When you think about the U.S. getting to the final of the Confederations Cup in 2009 and leading Brazil in that final, we nearly had a major FIFA trophy um, to take home to... Soccer house in Chicago. I forgot it was 2 0. Oh, I right? forgot it was 2 0. Right? Mm-hmm. But that, so we lost to Brazil eventually. But then we were thinking, all right, 2010 World Cup, we can take this sort of somewhat counter attacking system on the road where you've got um, everything Josie Altador can do, including like being a hold up guy and linking play, the pace of Charlie Davis running behind, and then Donovan and Dempsey on the wings as part of the counter attack. It was absolutely deadly. But a key part of it was the pace of Charlie Davis. Yeah. So he gets injured in the car accident. There isn't really a replacement, and that's why, to Corey's question mm-hmm. earlier, that's why Robbie Bob Finley. Bradley was all in on Robbie Finley, because he wanted a replacement pacey player to play the Charlie Davis role. Yep. But it turns out Robbie Finley is not quite as good as Charlie Davis was. Nah. Yeah. Nah. I remember trying to talk myself into it. No, he was not. Yeah, and the, honestly, the 2010 World Cup was kind of glorious anyway, because yep. of the Donovan-Algeria mm-hmm. moment. But I think, so we couldn't, didn't get past, what, Ghana in the round of 16? It would have been a better US team with Charlie Davis in it in 2010. Yes, it would have. Yeah. Maybe we would have already been qualified by the time of that Algeria game. Maybe that. Maybe that. <laughs> oh, bummers. But yes, yes. I, but I, I think you're right in terms of the right now, like the negativity and the lack of Russia, like mm-hmm. la- lack the of lack 2018 of World Russia. Cup. Yeah. Um, the lack of trips to Russia. Yes. I think John Brooks is probably the answer. If he starts, I have to believe he de- at least doesn't score that own yep. goal. And then the 2019 answer is Tyler Adams. Yep. Who do we think the 2020 answer will be? 
Hmm. Hopefully not still Tyler Adams, right? Back in training with uh, Red Bull. Like, yeah. Excuse me, Rassenballsport, uh, Leipzig. Maybe Pulisic? Just that like Ooh. his first full season in the Premier League, maybe he gets knocked around a little bit. Ooh. We're not going to have much going on this summer that I can think of. The, for the, the U.S.? Yeah. It's only the CONCACAF Nations League finals. Uh-huh. So we're not going to have much going you. on uh, for the U.S.? Are we going to have to have this again? Yeah, probably. Oh, uh, after the show's over, mm-hmm. remind me to talk to you about something. Okay, cool. Is it about how you're wrong about the CONCACAF Nations League? It is not the opposite <laughs> of that. I mean, I mean, more so that it's like we don't have a Gold Cup. We don't have a World Cup. We, we don't have, have those... qualifying in so, September. So I, I just think that maybe we don't – like maybe this is the summer where he takes off a little bit more or it actually gets time off but maybe he needs that time off okay but i guess you could also spin that into well he has actual time off so maybe he won't be him maybe he'll be okay with it <laughs> i guess i shouldn't have asked you because we don't know who's going to be injured in no, 2020 we don't yeah. you're asking me to speculate let's, on terrible things and i'm already sad about u.s soccer let's knock on wood and say no one yeah, right. the answer right. is no one let's talk about All right. else, then. next question then comes mm-hmm. from robert cordova sometimes i take a gamble and ask a follow-up question mm-hmm. sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad yeah robert cordova. i noticed that you didn't suggest anybody you just moved swiftly along tim Ware. <laughs> robert cordova asks how do you view samuel eto's career and where does he rank in top African footballers? Mm-hmm. All right, so a couple of disclaimers here. I would say, like, Robert asks us these questions, right? About, like, how do you, what do you think of this person's career? What do you think of that yeah, person's career? He basically asks when they retire. So Eto yeah. retired in September, officially, and after I, playing for Qatar SC. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I want to be clear up front that, like, uh, Eto never played for a team that I particularly rooted for. That plays a part of my answer. He never reached the level of being an appointment TV sort of player where I was like, I've got to watch Eto's on, I've got to watch this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was very good, don't get me wrong, but he never reached quite that level. Yeah. So I think I probably have a different perspective on Samuel Eto than a lot of people, especially Barcelona fans. I'm sure they have course, yeah. much more specific memories. So for me, it's probably less emphatic, but I have three specific things. I will remember him as having a very interesting career in that he played, as you just said, he finished in Qatar, but even before that, he plays for Andre when they first come yeah. to be NG Mahachkala mm-hmm. uh, he's got Antalya Spore I think Konya Spore was in there too so he's got the interesting career route but then he's also got by interesting do you mean cashing in kind of ever since from the moment he goes from what Inter mm-hmm. to Angie that I think there's a lot of just chasing the money. Like Samuel Eto'o being like, okay, I'm coming towards the end of my career. I'm going to make as much money as possible in this final few years. But I kind of don't... Nothing really wrong with that, but it's not the ideal when you look at the totality of someone's career. Right? Yeah, but I guess to me, it is interesting though, because he lived in all these different places and had different experiences. It's a bit second time in two shows, I think, but it's a bit like Lutz Funnage deal where it's just like <laughs> he played in every confederation. Like that's nuts. How do you yeah. pull that off? So that to me is part of it. But then it's also that aside from that, it's the big clubs that he played for. Madrid, very briefly, but then Barcelona, Inter, Chelsea. So he still has that like pedigree about mm-hmm. him. And with that comes uh, three La Liga titles, a Serie A title, three Champions League titles. So I think he has the sort of big game, big club aspect. And then the one that will really, like, I will forever remember, if you ask me, like, what is my memory of Samuel Eto'o? It's probably not what he would love, but it's the fact that he's a player who, like, to me, represents Mourinho at his peak. That a player <laughs> like Samuel Eto'o, who was... Fairly, like, didn't really want to change what he was doing at Barcelona, which I think partially explains why he's traded or swapped. To yeah, Inter. so well, after the 2009 Champions League final, yeah. which Barcelona will win, it's mm-hmm. a Guardiola, um, it's a front three of Thierry Henry, mm-hmm. Samuel Eto, Leo Messi. Goodness gracious. Not too shabby. Mm-hmm. But then he's essentially part exchanged for Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right? right? Sent mm-hmm. Eto to Inter and Zlatan to Barca. And then, but then you have him playing as a center forward, you have him playing on the wing, you have him. Yeah, I Mourinho guess, used him on the wing, famously, yeah, right? In the, what, the second leg uh, yeah, against the Barcelona. 2010 semi final. He's a. Uh, 
like a wing back or a fullback or an attacking fullback, but at least like it's basically Mourinho uses, defensive wing guys. Used, yeah, you, Mourinho just utilizing him in different ways, and this is a player who, again, as I remember it, kind of didn't want to do what Guardiola or like wasn't as flexible as Guardiola needed him to be. Then again, nor was Latan. I don't fully understand his relationship with Guardiola because Eto talks really glowingly about him. Mm-hmm. So he made me understand football in a new way and mm-hmm. this and that, but I don't like him. Yeah. So it seems like he really respects his football brain, yeah. but just just doesn't like Guardiola as a person. Yeah. He never really got into why he didn't like him as a person. Right. Which is interesting. So, so I guess I think for me then that's maybe where the the maybe this connects, maybe it doesn't, but to me it does. That like that's where the interesting aspect of his career that he moved around to lots of different clubs and lots of different places. It is chasing money, but it seems to me like but there's also this like sure I'll play uh, like defensive wing back if it means I win the Champions League. Why not? Like it's again the sort of I, I see it almost as more flexibility from him that he's like yeah why not I'll go play in the middle of Turkey why not I'll go play in Qatar. I'll go play in like what uh i forget where anji is but it's not in a place dagestan well, you, i think it is you live in moscow yes you, play, you, <laughs> you do games, you do yeah. mm-hmm. um, so i think of eto as lively i always mm-hmm. remember him just being like popping up everywhere like running everywhere really hard working but not in a just like run 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 kind of way but mm-hmm. more in a i'm gonna be here i'm gonna pop up here i'm gonna pop up there like really mobile center forward that's mm-hmm. the that's the way i remember him this is without going back and watching footage yeah so i haven't watched him play for a long long time but that's my memory of samuel eto i also seem to remember him not having like a dominant foot mm-hmm. i don't remember it like oh get eto on his left foot because it's no good it seems to be like he could finish with both feet but again i'd have to go back and watch some footage to really confirm mm-hmm. that so that's my memory of samuel eto um as, the, as a player I've got um, two more things before we get to Africa yeah okay because um, yeah, I want to talk about his uh, national team career yeah. which is part mm-hmm. of Robert's question um, w- one of the things I'll say that will like I think he will endure that will allow Eto to endure is that I think he'll be a good trivia answer for a lot of different stuff uh, played in four World Cups that tends to be a thing that people ask about like how like who played in the most World Cups so 98 four is a lot. 2002 2010 2014 I believe that's it okay uh, and then uh, played for Real Madrid and Barcelona that's yeah. a rare one and won the Champions not a lot for Real Madrid right not so much um, three games uh, and then won the Champions League with two different clubs again that's another one that is a, a fairly rare occurrence yeah. so um, I, I think that but then I also think to the national team perspective did he win consecutive Champions League with two different teams because that would be the trivia question I think he, he won 2009 have. Barca 2010 Inter that would make sense yeah. there we go yeah Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing with the national team that, like, he—I also will remember him as one of those players that, like, when you meet people from Cameroon in that era, like, I, when I first moved back to Richmond, I played on a team with two Cameroonian guys, and if you mentioned, I remember mentioning Rigobert Song, and they would be like, "Oh, like Rigobert, he's the best, he's yeah. the best," and then you'd mention Samuel Eto'o, and somehow it went up to another level of like, "Oh, yeah. but he is the best." And uh-huh. It was just—it was the my kind of first experience with people from that country being like, "Oh, wow, they really like Samuel Eto'o." Like, so I get that now. I don't have a Samuel Eto'o World Cup memory that's Mm-mm. like really positive. Nor I'm I. not saying he was terrible, but I'm just. I don't remember him having, despite playing in four World Cups, yep. I don't have like a, oh, that was a Samuel Eto'o game. Um, in fact, I kind of have the opposite. I remember in 2014, mm-hmm. so he's, even though his career only just ended, he's older yep. in 2014. And I remember Cameroon kind of being built around him and relying on him. And it was almost like get the ball to Samuel and he wasn't quite able to do it. And right. so that's how, they, that's how they failed in 2014. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's also, I may eat my words here, but I don't believe, I don't remember Cameroon playing England in a World Cup. I don't remember Cameroon playing the United States in a World Cup. I mean, Cup. they did in 1990, but that was eight years before Eto'o exactly. uh, played for the So I think World that's Cup. probably also part of it is that like, 
uh, you and I have been watching the last two World Cups at least every single game, but it still wasn't quite that like that next level intensity yeah. because it's a team that we're really actively rooting for, and so we're scared of Samueletto. We're scared of the way we would be of say Asamoah Gyan. Like, okay, I, yeah. I will forever be more terrified of Asamoah Gyan <laughs> than most African strikers. Of course, yeah. Um, final thing on Eto's national team career: yeah. he did win the African Cup of Nations, I believe, twice. Mm-hmm. For a little bit of reading, I did in the yep. early two thousands. Mm-hmm. All right, to the second part of Robert's question. Where does he rank in top African footballers? So again, there's a little bit of a wrinkle here. It depends on who you're counting as African, because okay. like Eusebio, born in Mozambique, played for Portugal. Uh, Claude Makélélé, Patrick Vieira, both born in Africa. But I'm, I'm going to take the Robert's question to mean of people who are like played identified for national teams. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, I would say he's top three to five of all time. That's okay. where I am with it. So him. with what George Ware. Mm-hmm. Didier Drogba. Those would be the top two for sure. I always include Obedi Pelé. I think that's just because I enjoyed watching him. When I believe I was he's doing. also, I was I was looking that up too. I believe he is like currently banned for match fixing. So that limits, or or he got into a lot of trouble with oh, match dear. fixing. So okay. I'm going to leave Obedi Pelé alone. I had him in the same tier as maybe Mohamed Salah. We'll see how things develop from yes. here. But definitely Yaya Toure. That's the only other one that oh, I feel course, like is yeah. in that same level. He's another one who seems to not enjoy Pep Guardiola. Very true. Yeah. Buy him a birthday cake. Maybe that changes. So I would say, yeah, top three to top five African players of all time. Okay, and we're not going to rank them because, it, as with many things, they're all good. Just <laughs> yes. enjoy them. I got that. The 30 Rock thing about not listing female com- comedians, we're not going to do it. It's demeaning. There we go. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. I yeah. like it. Okay, next question comes from Eric Rosner. Eric Rosner wants to know, would PSG actually benefit from an equivalent size takeover of a rival team in League 1? So I was slightly confused by this because they, they literally benefited from this in the sense that Monaco are owned by a gazillionaire and they bought Kylian Mbappe from Monaco who came through Monaco. So that is kind of my answer that like they already have a little bit. Oh, but Eric's asking like for a, a competitor mm-hmm. in Ligue 1. So say if Monaco had been taken over by a billionaire and that billionaire had invested in the team correctly mm-hmm. and built a super team to go up not, against Not PSG. gotten divorced, basically. Yes, right? <laughs> um, I actually think probably not, is, is strangely so? enough. Because I know there's the idea of like, oh, it creates more competition and so yeah. more people are interested in it. being how many points clear they are at the top of Ligue 1. I don't even know right now, but I bet it's a, d- a decent amount. But we assume they want that, and I'm not sure they do. I think they're more than happy to cruise through Ligue 1 and then really focus on the Champions League. Mm. And I think if you have another gazillion their own team I think if Monaco had bought players now all of a sudden it's not as though one team is going to a league make and so what you'll end up having is two teams who can both afford any player in the world and so you're just going to end up like we'll bid 60 million we'll bid 70 we'll bid 80 it's always going to be higher prices that you can drive up on each other but don't you see the benefit of um, staying sharp throughout the year like in a way that okay we've got to win this weekend because the other billionaire team is right at our heels instead of being multiple points clear. Right now, by yep. the way, they're five points clear with a game in hand. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe. But well, it I, just keeps you sharp so you don't switch off a bit and then suddenly there's a Champions League game and you're all like, whoa, this is, this is upper level. We mm-hmm. didn't expect this. I mean, but by the same token, like, again, this is what Monaco were meant to be. It's yeah. just things didn't go that way. But, like, I guess that's my point is, like, but as soon as that one team maybe has an offseason – then that pressure is gone. Like one team is not really going to change that much in my opinion. Okay, fair enough. But um, if, you, if you disagree. I mean, I think PSG mm-hmm. would benefit like yeah. so that Ligue 1 is maybe taken more seriously and yeah. PSG's success in Ligue 1 is taken more seriously if they have a proper rival. And I think if you're um, a competitive person mm-hmm. and you enjoy the, the spirit of going up against someone and, and emerging victorious, um, you need a rival to do that, right? That's why Barcelona, Real Madrid, they might say they hate each other, but they feed off of one another mm-hmm. and it creates this, this wonderful, wonderful, rivalry I think PSG would benefit from having that I think French football would be better off I think PSG would be better off alright I can see that point I, I'm going to add this, this you can other see little... or concede 
I can see that point. But I, I would say this then. I do think if it were a team that were like – to the question, an actual competitor? Like yeah. if somebody bought Marseille and put a bunch of money into them, maybe even put money back into Lyon, who won seven league titles in a row. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, then at least it's a historically significant, very good team that are now challenging PSG. If somebody comes in and puts a ton of money into a team that is not very like well-known, yeah. it maybe furthers the reputation of Ligon is just the place for billionaires, and I that's mean, it. So PSG wasn't a particularly well-known or yeah. successful mm-hmm. team. Yeah, I mean, I could imagine... Uh, Red Bull Leon giving PSG a run for them. Were they were they founded in the eighties? PSG. I don't know, but yeah, they're not historically. Right. They haven't historically been around and been right. successful mm-hmm. for a long Red, time. Did you say Red Bull Leon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Red Bull Lille would be very interesting. See, that, that's the one outlier though, because it would have to be because you don't want an RB Leipzig situation. Like you don't want to have to completely rename the team. Or I guess you do want the Leipzig situation if it's a smaller team. You can take over. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Le Havre, who are actually kind of significant in that they <laughs> yeah, keep producing Red, Red good Bull players. Le Havre. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> um, there is uh, Jim Ratcliffe, mm-hmm. who was the wealthiest man in England. Mm-hmm. I think he just lost the title last time around. They did a list. Um, he's like some uh, petrochemical type uh, ke- chemical uh, billionaire, mm-hmm. essentially. He bought Nice. By the way, that could not sound more like a supervillain right there. Right. A chemical billionaire? Chem- he's a billionaire from a chemical company that mm-hmm. he owns, right? He bought Nice this summer, yeah. but he bought them in late August. So he bought them too late to spend a load of money. It's possible that this may be about to happen once Jim Ratcliffe's money gets unleashed on League Un via Nice. Did you so see this he, may be happening. Did you see who he brought in as sporting director? No. He's already done that. Uh, Cobra Commander is, is in there. That's, <laughs> that's who's in charge now. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I mean, it's an unprecedented situation. We'll see how it plays out. All right, you're joking, but I'm just saying keep an eye on Nice. Yeah. The, maybe what Eric is proposing may be about to happen with Nice. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe we're going to get Two-Face. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't trust chemicals, Daryl. I don't trust chemicals. Oh, okay. <laughs> Next question. You know what happens when we cross the hour mark. This is your fault. Oh, no. Next question is from Matthew Maxson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matthew Maxson asks, with negotiations between Major League Soccer and the Major League Soccer Players Association taking place this winter, what do you think of the main things a collective bargaining agreement needs to have to help the league move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I just went ahead and outsourced this directly to Paul Tenorio and <laughs> Sam Stashko because they wrote the, uh, the great article for The Athletic yeah. about like how they would completely change things if they were allowed to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, I think, was like a little bit leaning more towards like roster rules and how those could yeah. be changed, was the simplification of salary budget rules to reduce uh, limitations such as GAM TAM, specifically TAM. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people would like to see TAM done away with and instead it's just sort of here's more money, spend it as you want. There are less restrictions yeah. in place, fewer restrictions, I should say. Uh, Paul's point was to hire minimum salaries and increases in freedom of movement. And I think that's the one that I would emphasize would be changing free agency restrictions a little bit more so players can become free agents more easily. But then if you get rid of some of the limitations on what you're allowed to pay free agents, it allows people to sort of have those contract years where they're really performing well in yeah. order to be a free agent, in order to make more money. It, I would say, naturally increases competition and the quality of play. So uh, you and Sam got deep into this mm-hmm. um, on the show, which is really good, by the way. I would recommend people go back um, and listen to I it. I would love to claim credit for that, but it's about 90% oh, it's Sam mostly, talking. It's, you, you listened good. <laughs> I did, I did. I think I had to clarify in there that I'm just nodding a lot. I think I just started saying <laughs> nodding at different points. Um, so I would agree with the free agency thing. Right now, it's really not generous. Uh, you have to be 28 or older with eight or more years of MLS service. Um, and then you become a free agent. And then your next contract, uh, the raise can only be between 15 and 25% right. based on various factors. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was a worse offer than that that the players mm-hmm. turned down. 
last time around. I would, if I was the players, I'd be going for, um, I'd, I mean, I'd ask for total free agency. Mm. I think that would be a benefit to the league. Um, I understand the league essentially wants to contain costs, so that's why they wouldn't go for that. But we can really, it's so harsh that you can really liberalise that, right? Yeah. You could remove an age restriction. You could drop it from eight years to four years. Um, you could, re- or you could widen out those 15 to 25% raises. You could make it so that players can try and have contract year type right. situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because I mean, I, I think, and Sam kept making this point, that like there was a time when you had three ownership groups owning all of the teams and you kind of had to limit, like, f- so you didn't have favoritism of one team getting all the money and all the attention from that owner. Yeah. We've moved away from that. You don't have that as much now. And so if anything, these rules really do kind of exist. It's harder to say, like, well, we're worried about favoritism. We're worried about one team getting really dominant. And instead, or like from an owner just giving them more money and now it's more of a, like we don't want one team to be dominant from their one individual owner being willing to spend more than everybody else yeah. and so a lot of these restrictions it feel it feels exist to sort of limit the bids between teams the competitiveness between teams and to limit player movement so that you don't have as much competition or you don't have as so, much so team you, infighting basically so that players can't drive up salaries yeah basically right. right it's a cost control measure I think MLS players are really behind in terms of how much yeah. freedom they have and how many rights they have I think a really obvious one would be um, to raise the minimum salary. So mm-hmm. by 2019, the minimum salary for a senior player was about $70,000. Um, and for a what's called like a reserve player, of 20, if you're 24 or younger, $56,000. Right. Both those numbers definitely will go yeah. up, right? Because mm-hmm. the number basically goes up every year. Um, so it wouldn't be a major thing for that number to go up, but let's let's expect that number to go up. I mean, that's almost, up. that's the equivalent of like a cost of living raise. Like that's, yeah, not, right? that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I want to take one more shot at this to clearly explain what I was trying to get at, which is basically just that to your point about free agents, you can only pay them a certain amount more than they were already making. Yeah. But so like literally so never – You can't really have a contract year. You can only have a 25% increase right. contract And year. also it means that it doesn't really matter because whichever team gives you that 25%, the only – other teams can only match that. Mm-hmm. So you still can't have – You can't start a bidding war. Right. Yeah. So And so if it – I get in trouble when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you're deciding between like Inter-Miami and Minnesota, Minnesota's very cold in the winter. Miami is not ever very cold. If they're bidding the exact same amount, you're probably going to choose Miami. And like that I think it still gives – natural. you make all your decisions based on temperature? I think – I think some people do, man. And I, but I guess that's what I mean is that you don't have the opportunity for Minnesota to say, we'll give you 10 grand more a season yeah, because yeah. they literally can't because of the restrictions. Yeah. So in trying to prevent sort of like teams from being favored or teams getting a competitive advantage, they're giving people advantages. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling. One thing I'd say to Matthew about mm-hmm. this question is the, the CBA is about um, – player welfare almost Mm. right it's about how much salary you have it's about like how many doctors you have to see it's literally about how much vacation you get whereas i think what matthew's more interested in probably is rewriting the mls roster rules Mm -hmm. sort of like what sam and and paul's article was was all about i would guess as well maybe matthew's question came in before the the podcast with sam so it may be that a lot of the answers to matthew's question are contained within that that Sam Stagegill right. um, interview. So if you haven't heard that yet, Matthew, please go yeah. back and listen. That's my answer. Go listen to that one. Go listen Don't to ask that me questions. <laughs> Instead, I'll ask the final question for this show. Oh, we, didn't, we didn't raise the uh, the issue of flights. Ah. So that's definitely one major thing, right? It, it, they could negotiate uh, in the CBA. They could negotiate for like guaranteed uh, charter flights, mm-hmm. something like that. They'll definitely meet a lot of pushback from MLS owners, but they could. Right now, they have. Um, Anything, anything, I ran and read it, anything over 250 miles from airport to airport is a commercial flight, like not a coach journey or whatever. 
it would be a major, major step forward if the MLS CBA included um, anything over 250 miles is a chartered flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because then players would arrive without cramped legs and sore muscles from sitting on a, co- a commercial airliner. It genuinely would improve the standard of play if players could travel in style. And I've learned this this year with uh, Wolves mm-hmm. in the Europa League. Have you noticed Wolves have been playing the same team in the Europa League? as in the Premier League, and mm. doing really well in both. Yeah. It's because they have this beautiful plane to sit on afterwards where they have like um, ice on their, the space to have ice on their legs yeah. and do whatever you need to do. You can like stretch it. out and lay down and have beds. Yes, part yeah. of the recovery period is on the plane. Right, yeah. yeah, of course, as opposed to being jammed into three seats. Yes. With very limited leg room. Yep, and mm-hmm. it, it lowers the standard of on-field play. So yeah, uh, more... Um, What's the chartered flights yeah. uh, or guaranteed charter flights? I mean, even there's, if, there's no way because the owners no. won't agree to it. But um, I'd, I'd be willing to yeah. ask for it if I was in the MLSPA. I am not a wearing a mask in public sort of person, but I will say like airplanes are just contained, recycled air of other people's coughs. <laughs> like if nothing else, like you're gonna get fewer players sick throughout the season because I... they're on very nice, very spacious private planes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right, final question comes from Taylor Judd, who asks, how are UK citizens allocated to national teams? They all have a UK passport, but they play for England, Scotland, Wales, or Northern Ireland. How does this work? So I'm guessing Taylor is responding to our recent Soccer 101 episode Mm -hmm. titled... How many countries are in this country? (laughs) Can I pause you right there for a moment to ask? Is that like... I get the structure of the joke, but is the joke itself technically incorrect? Should it be more like how many no, this, regions the, are in this country? I mean, kind of. Well, no, the joke is correct, right? The, the joke is the fact that it's such a bizarre situation. But, but, but you could yeah. refer to them as regions. Yeah, right, because they're not them. actually countries, which I think is the thing that's kind of confusing for me personally. Yes. Well, they are countries, but the United Kingdom is a unitary sovereign state which sort of supersedes the existence of the four separate countries so think of it this way then yeah everybody who is from england scotland Mm -hmm. wales northern ireland gets a uk passport the united kingdom of great britain and northern ireland but then there are four football teams uh within the united kingdom the reason for that is explained in our soccer 101 episode just tease it there so go go, yeah go listen to that but then taylor asks the interesting question like if you're if you have a uk passport why can't you just say oh I'll play for Wales. Right? <laughs> I forgot who asked this question. I was like, I asked that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so essentially, yeah. there's a gentleman's agreement between the FAs of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, essentially to treat their territory or their region as if it was a, a, a properly divided nation yeah. with its own passport um, and therefore not allow um, a person born in England to English parents, English grandparents, spends their whole life in England, can't just say... I'm the seventh best left back in England. I want an international career. Wales need a left back. I'll just go play for them. Yeah. And and, and so that, that makes – the way you just phrased that makes a ton of sense to me because I did struggle with the idea of like, but they have their own FA, but they're not a country. So why does it – and I think the answer – or like, but they're a country. It's all very confusing. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you just said that's very clear is like the gentleman's agreement essentially is like, OK, we're just going to treat it as though we are four distinct nations yes, exactly. in order to then have – what are otherwise like very standard rules of like if you want to play for the U.S., you have to ha- be born in the United States or have an American yep. uh, parent or grandparent or what have you. And essentially they've just made, had a gentleman's agreement where they've just recreated those rules. So yeah. to quickly read out the gentleman's agreement, um, they, they say you can only play for the association. I feel like you could read it more like a gentleman. If – um, one was born mm-hmm. in the territory of the relevant association, mm-hmm. has a biological mother or father born in the territory of the relevant association, <laughs> or has one biological grandparent born in the territory of the association. So it essentially means you need a bloodline 
uh, going to Scotland. So if you were born in England, but you have a grandparent who came from Scotland, you could play for Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other recently added one is if you've um, engaged in a minimum of five years education under the age of 18 within the territory of the relevant association. So you could be born in England, English parents, English grandparents. But if you spend the ages 11 to 16 in school in Scotland, you would qualify to play for Scotland. But is this why, like, like going back a ways to when England just had garbage goalkeepers, there was that talk of, like, Manuel Amunia has never been capped by Spain. He's played in England long yeah. enough. He could get Mikel citizenship. Ateta, they talked about it as well, But right? would that then actually never have been possible because it would violate it, that rule? It would violate the gentleman's wow. agreement. Yes. So even though that ends up in the papers and all uh-huh. that sort of stuff, this, this, thing has ne- this thing hasn't been violated yet. And if it does get violated, then either you have to rewrite it and it w- maybe they would add a fifth category that was like, has played professionally in the relevant association for 10 years or whatever. Are you telling me that the British press created a weird narrative that wasn't actually factually possible yeah. without really doing the research to explain I mean, that it wasn't factually I mean, did possible? Did you, no. you notice that it got talked about a lot but never really happened? Yeah. And no one from the clubs ever said, yeah, let's do this. Also that. And Mikel Arteta never said, yeah, let's do this. Also and Manuel Amunia never said, let's yeah. do this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or at the very least, they were like, I'm open to it, but I don't know the rules and regulations, uh-huh. so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, that, so that's basically it. The associations agreed to treat uh, the component parts of the UK as if they were fully-fledged nations mm-hmm. and just abide by those boundaries. Right. Okay. That makes sense because I was always confused by With that. With one-time like, switches and everything, right? Yeah. You could have a one-time switch the same way that you have between Italy and the United States. You can have a one-time switch between England and Scotland. All right, I have another final question for you then. Yeah. Um, do you actually – this is strange. Do you need to file that one-time switch? Yeah, because okay. FIFA treats it like oh, separate right, right. nations. Okay, FAs. There and we again, go. for why FIFA treats it like mm-hmm. separate nations, please go back and listen to Soccer 101. How many countries are in this country? That one I could that one I could answer. And the how many countries are in this country? But I was just thinking, like, if it's, a, gen- if it's a gentleman's agreement, <laughs> it is. If it's a gentleman's agreement, don't you just have to have a gentleman's agreement of like, oh no, now we can play for Scotland? I mean, but no, in reality, yes. Of that's course. not how yeah. gentleman stuff works. It doesn't. Uh. That was all top hats and monocles and muttering. Yeah, I mean that's how the FA used to work. Rabble, rabble, rabble. <laughs> All right. Thank you to everybody mm-hmm. for today's questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. If you support the show via totalsoccershow.com slash join at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer one of your questions per month. Mm-hmm. Let's just close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>